This show is sponsored by Qualcomm. They're part of the daily lives of billions of people around the world. They may not be the name you think of when you think of smartphones, but they invented all the stuff smartphones rely on to be so smart. Essentially, Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash we invent. This podcast is brought to you by AT&T Business. From advanced cybersecurity to the Internet of Things, AT&T gives you the flexibility to adapt to today's ever-changing business world. Learn more at att.com slash agility. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as the person who thinks Google should buy Uber and rename it Goober, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today in the red chair is Chris Ermson, the CEO of Aurora. Chris was previously the CTO of self-driving cars at Google, and he co-founded Aurora last year along with Sterling Anderson and Drew Bagnell, who ran their own self-driving projects at Tesla and Uber. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Here. No problem. I'm so excited to talk about something good about cars, not Uber, for example. I was joking with you that I'm so tired of these people. In any case, I'm not tired of you. You're fantastic. So just by way of background, Chris and I met when, explain, you, you showed me the first really autonomous car, essentially, that Google had in a parking lot near Google. Yeah, I think we had you out in yeah. one of the Priuses way back in the early days. Well, the early days, right. Yeah. That was when they were, they, those were outfitted cars that, that we drove around the area, the Google campus area. That's right. We, I think, you know, we'd go buy them off the dealership and then we'd put, you know, lasers and radars and cameras on them, add our software to them and, and go and test them out on the roads. Right, exactly. But after that, you, it was the little clown car. We remember we did the clown car thing and I had, I tried to have it run you over, but it wouldn't do it. No, it, it was good. And we, you know, I think of it the koala car rather than clown car. Okay. What do we call it? The uh, koala car. Koala car. All right. Okay. Yeah. I call it clown car, but explain that you, you, we showed it off at the, at the code conference a couple of years ago for the first time, but I came out there and, and Liz Gaines and I got in it and explain that car. Cause that was different from the others we had done. Yeah. So that was a car that we built from the ground up at Google. And the, the goal behind it was one to learn what it meant to integrate the software and, and the sensors into a car. Uh, and then the other was to have the first shot at having a car that was designed to be a self-driving car. And, you know, what do you want that vehicle to look like mm-hmm. so it can be a good avatar for the technology in the community? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what experience do you want people to have in it? And, right. and and what was fascinating was just how much extra space there was and how... Right. There's I, no wheel, no driving wheel, no pedals, no nothing, right? Really just a screen. That's right. You just tell where you want to go and, and it takes you there. And, mm-hmm. and so you get to... Think differently about the interior of the car. You had to think differently about what people want to do in the car, and that was, you know, that was part of the exercise in developing that vehicle. Yeah, we'll get more into that a concept uh, at the time, but it was really cool. It was, it was sort of like being in a Disney ride or something like that. That's what it felt like because it was small and adorable and, and stuff like that. But yeah, that's the kind of thing we were shooting for, right? We wanted right. your experience in the first time you're in a truly self-driving car to be right. not scary, to be friendly, right. to be fun. Right, but you kept it in a parking lot. 
Correct. You were testing it. You didn't want it out in the wild, essentially. It wasn't ready yet for, for us to let it loose on the roads. Right, right. All right, we'll talk about that more going forward, but let's get your background. Now, talk about, we're going to get to what Aurora is, but you, how did you get into self-driving cars? You were there super early. Now everyone seems to be a self-driving car engineer, essentially. Yeah, I, I guess I started working on robots in in 98 when mm-hmm. I went to Carnegie Mellon to do my PhD. Did you do that before when you were in high school? Were you a big no. robotics person? Uh, I, you know, I built little robot things out of Lego and, mm-hmm. you know, had, had fun with that. And at some point, uh, while I was doing my undergraduate degree, I saw a poster for this robot crawling out of a volcano. And I said, mm-hmm. that, that looks really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that would be fun to go do. You wanted to build a robot crawling out of a volcano, or just the uh, concept? This is the idea, mm-hmm. you know, that you could. There's something really appealing about technology that you can kind of touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and with robots, um, you know, it was still, you know, you, everyone's seen them in the movies, whether it's R two D two and C three PO or what have you. Um, but they don't really exist, right? And, and right. so the chance to kind of go and work on that, and this was a place that was doing it, that seemed really exciting. And, and I went there, and I spent a, a number of years working on NASA projects. And just before the Grand Challenges, which were these big robot races out in the desert, I was uh, part of a project that was testing a robot down in, in the Atacama Desert in Chile. Mm-hmm. And so we had this little four-wheeled robot. It was called Hyperion. I, it was really, you know, it was a cute robot, and it would move around at, you know, 15 centimeters a second to 30 centimeters a second, which is like a a slow walk to a, you know, slightly less slow walk kind right. of speed. Right. And we were out in the middle of the desert testing this thing, and, you know, there was a dozen engineers, and most of the time, you know, it didn't work. We were experimenting and playing with it and fixing it. And that was when this DARPA challenge got announced, and the idea right. was to build uh, a robot that could drive from Los Angeles to Las Vegas across the desert. Mm-hmm. And to do that, which isn't had, very hard because it's straight, right? It's desert. It's well, it was pretty hard. No, it's hard. I know I get that, but uh, I'm saying they tried, did a challenge that was relative, something that was manageable, correct? Well, they called it a grand challenge, right? And, okay, and all right. The, it's, uh, I know it's hard, you smart people, but you know what I'm talking but, about. But well, honestly, at the time, it wasn't obvious that it was doable, mm-hmm. right? Nobody had done it before, right? Uh, and in fact, people were thought that it was not solvable, right? Um, at least, you know, in the year and a half or year or whatever it was that we had. And, and it turned out they were right. You know, we had a bunch of graduate students and undergraduates, and we took a, a Humvee and tore it apart and put lasers and radars and stuff on it. So a robot car, not a robot driving a car. A robot car. Right, yeah. right, okay. Because um, that's creepy, a robot driving a car. It could be pretty cute. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> seen, seen the little uh, yeah. Asimo robots? No, I'm thinking Terminator. Uh, yeah, that would be creepy. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we got this thing. We got it out to the desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tested it a bunch. Uh, turns out 10 days before the race, we rolled it over during testing. So oh. that was disappointing. Wow. Uh, did you roll it over or did it roll itself over? It rolled itself over. This was, um, uh, you know, we wanted to do a 150-mile test. Mm-hmm. And we were going to do it at 30 miles an hour, and that would take five hours. We said, okay, well, why don't we do it at 50 miles an hour? Because that would take three hours. Mm-hmm. That seems better than taking five sure. hours. Yeah. That was a bad decision. Right. Too um, fast. Yeah, a little too fast, and it ended yeah. up getting off the road and rolling. We got it put back together. We took it to the competition. Um, it was kind of like robot Woodstock, mm-hmm. right? There was all kinds of different things there from something inspired by centipedes to, oh, wow. you know, little ATVs to big, you know, big Humvee and everything in between. Most of them didn't work that well. Ours ended up working the best. Uh, we got it out to the race course, you know, set off in the morning, and it was just magnificent, right? Mm-hmm. This is, 
we'd been working on this for a year and a half, mm-hmm. and this was kind of the first time we let it loose in the desert. Was someone in the car? No, it was completely no. by itself. They okay. they had uh, somebody from the government was chasing it in a pickup truck, and they had just one button that could you know basically kill. And so we're blow it up. No, no, no they. <laughs> Uh, there was some rumor that they had people <laughs> around in case one of them went yeah. recla- uh, yeah. went went crazy, but no, they just had a little remote uh-huh. you know e stop for it, and so this thing you know we're stood off the side and off it goes charging into the desert and you know it it had this giant fin on the top for no real good reason. No, look good. Uh, it looked yeah. Know. Cool. cool. And that was all you could see as it went into the sagebrush. And so it charges off into the desert. And that was all we knew until a little later in the day, seven and a half miles into the 150 mile course, um, basically it, it burst into flames. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, so that's it, an issue. It, it got off the side of the road and high centered. And it was trying really hard to move forward, didn't realize it was stuck. So it just spin the wheels harder and harder. And Tires oh. melted, oh, uh, and big clouds of smoke. It Did was, anybody win? Uh, no, not that no, year. No. Um, we went the furthest. Yeah, we drove through. I don't know three fence posts on the way. Mm-hmm. The guys who went behind us had a much smaller vehicle, mm-hmm. and so it was really good for them that we took the fence posts out because they were right in our tire tracks and right. we would have driven right into the fence posts and oh, probably wow. not broken them. Wow! And so this was the end of the first. This is challenge. how great inventions are made. Right, <laughs> a, a lot of failure. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, so had you been interested in this as a, a kid, where you just want to go into regular computing? I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. Uh, when I went to to college, up until the last minute, I was debating between going into medicine and engineering. Oh, okay. Um, and at some point, I realized I really didn't like the sight of blood, right? And that okay. seemed kind of gross. That's an issue. And I was like, hmm. Maybe I should and do you engineering. like the sight of metal, so you're fine with that. Oh, it's okay with metal. Yeah. It's not. But had you thought about it? robotics? Was not was, was just a regular computing career, correct? Yeah, engineering. I, I, I went into computer engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like the thing to do mm-hmm. um, at the time. Nortel Networks was a big thing in Canada. Sure. And it was, you know, hiring, and it seemed like that could be fun. And and then, like I said, this poster just Change caught my attention. Life. I was yeah. like. That's this cool. way. So yeah. a lot of people do start in robotics. They do start went before they're doing this. What moved you into car? car? Because you did this car. Because you did yeah. this. It was just the DARPA had this challenge. That it, it, it just seemed entranced you. Really cool, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. the idea that you could actually have a robot do something meaningful, right? Mm-hmm. There, there had been robotics had made it into manufacturing, sure, um, and obviously there were space exploration robots. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't really robots in people's everyday life, and right. there wasn't a way they could have an impact. And I, I wouldn't claim that at the time could kind of see the future and see what's transpiring now in the industry. Right. But it, it, it you know, at the time, it was very much this is a way to help the military, mm-hmm. right, a- and get young men and women um, out of harm's way, particularly moving supplies to the front line, sure, which is a big part of their job. Yeah. So that's what you were thinking. Yeah. Did you, had you thought about other robotics uses in the home of actual servants or, you know, those kind of things or not driving got you because why? Because it, it, again, it just, just disappointingly, it seemed cool. Right. And that's right. really all the backstory, right? right. Uh, you know, having spent time, you know, walking very slowly behind a robot in the desert in Chile, the idea mm-hmm. that you could have a robot Instead of moving at walking speed, move faster than I could run. Right. Um, and, you know, drive through a desert. It, that just was mesmerizing. So this was a nascent area of doing this, of, of oh. doing automated cars, essentially. Although in science fiction, it's certainly, that's all there is. That's how people have imagined it and things like that. How did you stay in the area? So you started doing the Carnegie Mellon, and then what? Yeah, and so it was that first challenge where no one won. 
the second challenge happened, and uh, a number of vehicles actually finished, and this was a year later. Mm-hmm. There was a, a third challenge, which this time was at an air base, and it was driving on roads, and it was much closer to what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. No pedestrians, no cyclists, no traffic lights, but the basics of it, and that was in 2007. And that was the last of the DARPA challenges, and it was exciting and fun. That one, the, the team I was the technical director for ended up winning. Mm-hmm. And what um, did you do in that one, in the third one? So the third one, it was uh, 60 miles driving around on roads. Uh, 60 miles an hour? Uh, no, 60 miles oh, of around. distance. It Just ended up, you know, it was probably between 30 and 40 miles per hour it was mm-hmm. moving. And it had to deal with other traffic. So the, the ones across the desert, they made sure nothing was moving near mm-hmm. the vehicles. This last one, the Urban Challenge, they had stunt drivers out there bringing traffic into it and following the vehicles around. And the, the vehicles themselves had to interact with one another. So if two of them came to a four-way intersection with stop signs, right. they had to stop and take turns. And, and kind of if you squinted, you could kind of see the future, right? right. This was right. this was very cool. Right. And then DARPA basically said... Any this, big mishaps during that? Uh, no huge mishaps. Um, there were some entertaining things. One of the vehicles literally drove into a building. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, and, fun. Yeah, and it was it was a... Big truck. Uh, mm-hmm. It was one of these big military trucks, and it drove into the building. And, and they had given you the trucks they wanted you to learn. No, everybody got to bring their own. Okay. There was another one where uh, a car didn't see one of these kind of fold-over gates mm-hmm. um, and drove into it, and basically the the gate decapitated, you, you know, these Velodyne lasers, you know, the spinning Kentucky yeah, yeah, yeah. fried chicken things. Yeah. Right? It just drove into it and right. off Gone. the thing Gone it went. Gone. Yeah. Which makes them get around, essentially. Yeah, that was that was kind of the end of that for them. Yeah. And then the cars from Cornell and MIT were in the competition. They both did incredibly well, but they had the first kind of robot-robot crash on oh. course. So that was... Did they crash into each other? One wouldn't give way for the other? Uh, they were both moving at about three miles per hour, and it was mm-hmm. kind of like a super slow speed train. So you were like, no! <laughs> it was very Austin Powers. Yeah. 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 But then, you know, three, uh, five, six vehicles uh, finished that challenge. So when you were doing these, these are all fun. I mean, I've seen, yeah. I've been to some of these events. Is it how things get created? Is these these challenges and people try to do co- the contests? There's a, there's bunches of space contests, all kinds of yeah. different things. So you were doing this at Carnegie Mellon. How did you get to Google then? What was the, yeah. This was what year you were doing these. Uh, so this wound up in 2007, basically 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago. Um, almost. But early. A month. Yeah, it, it was quite early. I spent a couple of years still at the university. I worked mm-hmm. with Caterpillar, and mm-hmm. there we were moving, automating these big kind of house-sized dump trucks, mm-hmm. which was, imagine 400 tons with nobody in it, moving right. 40 miles an hour. Right, yeah, I would imagine that would be scary. Cool and scary, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but yeah. So I spent some time on that, and then I, uh, Sebastian Thrun and I had been talking about you know doing something together. We had been competing against one another uh, in the challenges, and... Mm-hmm. You know, we thought it would be great to work together. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of respect for one another. The you know the teams we'd led had finished one and two. He and was where? Also, uh, he Google. was at Stanford at the He's time. At Stanford, uh, and then he had just sold ViewTool to Google, mm-hmm. uh, which is what became Street View over time. So he right. was now mostly at Google and and partly at Stanford. Mm-hmm. And so we were talking about starting something, uh, and at some point it came out that the right thing to do was actually just do it at Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in beginning of two thousand nine, I, I kind of uh, went on leave from my faculty position at Carnegie Mellon uh, and moved my family. You know, we moved out here. My wife was incredibly understanding. You know, Mm -hmm. we had all our kind of network of friends and and relationships in Pittsburgh, and Mm -hmm. things were feeling pretty good. And it was this risk to move out to, you know, crazy California where everyone wears Birkenstocks Mm -hmm. and 
you know, whatever. And, you know, in retrospect, best decision we ever made. Sure. So you came out, and what was the promising? Did you meet with, uh, who was most interested, Larry or Sir? I think that's, both of them have been long interested in that. Yeah, I think both of them have been long mm-hmm. interested in it. And, you know, when I came out, I chatted with Sebastian, chatted with some of the early team members, mm-hmm. and then we kind of got the, you know, decided, yeah, let's do this. Right. Um, but where does the impetus come at Google? From the top, from that they wanted to do, what was the idea at the beginning? So the idea at the very beginning was, to find out if this could actually be done. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and it really did come from the top. I, I, I credit Larry and Sergey for having the vision to go mm-hmm. and try this before anyone else, right? In 2009. They really did. They when we started talking about this in 2010, it was kind of a joke, mm-hmm. right? Google's doing self-driving cars. That's, a, you know, effectively, why are they wasting money on this? Mm-hmm. That's never going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but they saw this back in 2009, right? And they said it really came from a place of, uh, they have amazing technology. They have an incredible ability to harness engineering talent. Mm-hmm. And transportation is such an important problem to, to work on. Yeah. They've uh, been working on a lot of different things, fiber, all kinds of different schemes and stuff yeah. like that. They had some barge in San Francisco Bay that they were working on. This is a, an area of great interest to them for some reason. I'm not sure what why particularly. But they were the first. They were the first of the companies that yeah. set off the interest in it. At Carnegie Mellon, you were doing it mostly theoretically, correct? That the idea that who would, except for Caterpillar, I'm thinking, or, or the military. Yeah, the, the military, Caterpillar, we had sponsorship from General Motors. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had set up a, a research lab. Volkswagen had a lab out here with Stanford. So mm-hmm. there was, but it was still in the, you know, hey, this is 20 to 30 years out kind of mindset. Right. Not right. you know, not kind of committed, concentrated effort that we we saw at, at Google. So, what were you trying to do there initially at Google when, when you started? Yeah. So, the goal initially was just to show, prove to ourselves that this could actually become a technology that works. And so, we had basically two milestones. One was to drive a hundred thousand miles on public roads, which mm-hmm. was ten times more than anyone had done before. And right. then the other was to drive a thousand miles of really interesting roads. What's an interesting um, So driving down the Pacific Coast Highway between right. San Francisco, effectively, and L.A., mm-hmm. or driving um, all of the Bay Bridges and dealing with all of the interchanges. And if you remember wow. when 92 and 680 was all dug up, so right. we were driving through that at the time, or uh, driving through the Presidio um, where you know you have these windy roads, and in fact there's one place where there's a road that's only one lane wide, mm-hmm. but traffic goes in both directions on right. it. Uh, we drove Lombard Street, right? oh, the, the, cr- the, the, the crookedest street, street in the world. world so right? you were trying, and those yeah. goals were because just to show to, to have hype around it, or proof of that you could do these things. The, the two goals were slightly different. The hundred thousand miles goal was really to kind of get statistical data, right? Mm-hmm. To say, you know, we we're not just kind of gener- driving anything once. It's like this is an interesting data set we can learn something from. Right, right. To teach the cars. That's what you're trying to do. Presumably. To teach and understand, um, you know, teach the engineering team too. Right. It wasn't just data gathering. It was like, oh, I'd never really thought about how retroreflective signs are mm-hmm. or how difficult it is to understand the behavior of an articulated truck. Mm-hmm. And then the thousand Which humans do by themselves, most for the most part, yeah. successfully. Yeah, it, it kind of, uh, it's very humbling as somebody working in this space, mm-hmm. how easy some of these tasks are for people to do and how hard they are to actually get, mm-hmm. you know, software and technology to solve. So you were doing that there and you created both cars that were outfitted, like this Priuses you talk about, oh. and then you talked about, and then the car itself, the, the Koala car. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. It looks like a clown. Um, but w- w- t- 
talk about why the different efforts, because one is semi-autonomous, correct? Or no, they they were all both on, autonomous. on the path to being fully, fully automated. Yeah. Why go in those two directions at Google at the time? Yeah, so which everyone followed really. First, it was expedient. So when we started with the Priuses, you know, we were trying to understand whether this was even interesting or viable. Mm -hmm. And so you wanted to, we wanted to get on the road as quickly as we could, you know, Mm -hmm. safely, of course, but quickly. And so that meant using a vehicle. Uh, We then moved to the Lexus, and it was the same thing. We were uh, augmenting the Lexuses with our sensors and and getting them out on the road. But again, it was towards fully self-driving vehicles. When we started the, the Koala car, you know, that was to now start thinking more about what this looks like as a product. So we, we've, we've spent a lot of time learning about the technology. We're getting closer to having it ready to deploy. What's the first vehicle we'd like where somebody might see it on the road with nobody behind the wheel? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do, we, how do we, as we start to think about partnerships with car companies, how do we become a better educated partner so that as we work with them, and they say something about the flux capacitor, we have some inclination about a, what a flux capacitor yeah, is. Yeah, right? you're making a reference from a movie. Anyway, when we get back with uh, Chris Ermsen, we're going to talk more about what the challenges they faced at Google and why he started his startup, Aurora. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Bottle Coffee. I used to think all coffee was the same, but then I opened a package of Blue Bottle Coffee and poured myself a cup. It completely changed the way I look at coffee. It was fresh and unbelievably delicious. It's really hot around here in San Francisco where it started, uh, and it's a tremendously delicious cup of coffee. That's because Blue Bottle has an insane dedication to coffee. They work directly with farmers all over the world to source the most delicious and sustainable coffee they can find. The beans are roasted within 48 hours of your order and shipped right to your door. They arrive at your home at peak freshness. And Blue Bottle has something for everyone's palate, from the lighter, fruit-forward profiles to the deep, chocolatey espressos. Sign up for a free trial of fresh, delicious Blue Bottle coffee right now at bluebottlecoffee.com decode. What have you got to lose? It's a free trial and free coffee. That's bluebottlecoffee.com decode. One more time, start your free trial at bluebottlecoffee.com decode. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who did you talk to this week? Hey, Kara. This week I talked to Clara Jeffrey. She's the editor-in-chief of Mother Jones. She's great. You should follow her on Twitter. You should also read her magazine, which you need to pay for, and her website, which you can see for free. We talked about her business model, what it's like to create that stuff in the age of Trump. It's a really good episode. You should listen. Sounds great, Peter. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're here with Chris Ermson, who was the first CTO of the Google car effort and now has his own self-driving car startup, Aurora. So you were at Google doing these things, trying essentially to proof of concept. Is that Would that be the right way to put it? Or really you wanted to make products? You, I know, wanted to make a car on the road, correct? Yeah, the company really wants to make a product. Right. Um, you know, I believe that deeply. And it's, you know, there's, there's very little value in working on technology if you don't get it out there and get right. it helping people. Right. What was the path to do that? Because everyone suddenly jumped in from Apple, Tesla, everybody else was jumping in, Uber and others. Talk about that environment when suddenly everyone gets excited about something that you, you were one yeah. of the few companies doing. Yeah, I, I think uh, on the one hand, um, you know, you'd like to be able to be the one company doing this and pushing <laughs> it forward and... On the other, it's awesome because, you know, a, a what is it, a rising sea floats all boats. Floats all boats. Right. Um, 
And so the you know if you think about the the social values of the increased safety on the road, the mm-hmm. the better access to mobility for people, um, you know, it, it's we want to see this happen, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's really important for society. And so as more uh, companies get involved, there's a broader ecosystem. There's more likelihood that one of them succeeds. And so I think that's that's fantastic, right? That's that's very desirable. Right. And so everybody rushed in, including creating companies. Why did you leave Google? What was the, what happened? Yeah. So at the end of the day, I just, I wasn't having as much fun, right? Mm-hmm. And and we had a tremendous team and it's, it's an amazing company. And, you know, I owed it to the team and I owed it to the company that I was at my best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just didn't seem like that was where I was. And, you know, they had tremendous leaders there. Dmitry Dolgov is a very close friend of mine and he's just fantastic Mm -hmm. and he's stepped up and leading the technology development you know with john coming in they have an experienced automotive person there so you know it seemed like a good time to to step aside and and honestly when i left i didn't know what i was going to do it wasn't like i'm out of here i'm going to go make a self-driving car company it was what did you want to do different than that you couldn't do with the giant sums of money google throws at people at all times of day i just didn't know what i wanted to do I talked to a couple of companies, actually. This is, this is hard to say. I was talking to a couple of different companies That's that right. were working on flying cars. Flying cars. Yeah, okay. blows my mind that I yeah. can say that today. I, All owned by Larry Page. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> he has, I know he has one of them. They, they weren't, in fact. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, and I talked to a number of car companies. Um, I talked to, you know, I, I was just genuinely, hey, I've spent, you know, the last decade plus working on I know on a thing this. or two about self-driving cars. Right. Just when everybody's suddenly... Very interested in it. Well, that that was part of, mm-hmm. you know, like I certainly, people were very, it was very flattering, mm-hmm. right? That the, when I left, there was a lot of interest in talking to me about mm-hmm. it. But it, I was not convinced this was the next thing that I should be doing, right? right. Um, it, it's It was an amazing ride at Google, and it was time to, like, okay, let's let's see what else is out there. Were you worried they weren't going to make a car? Like, actually produce a car? Or? No, I, I don't think I don't think that's necessarily the right path for Google to make a right. car. I think Google is very good at the technology side of this. So, the, the as, as they did technology. in phones. They didn't make the phones. They right. Made. Well, until recently. Yeah. Uh, um, but, uh, no, I, I think they were very good at the self-driving technology, and there's people who are very good at making cars, and it seems clear that the right path is to marry those up or marry a few of them together Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from what i can tell from the outside of this point it seems like they're making progress with that it seems like you know uh, fiat chrysler and them are working well together Uh, i read something in the press about honda potentially Mm -hmm. or or not it's hard to say right so let's talk a little quickly before we talk about your startup about the big car companies in this very slow to it initially but now they you know gm bought up cruise they everybody's trying to get a piece of it talk about their roles because they they're the obvious you know, at one point I had one car person saying, oh, it's trivial to build a car. And I was like, no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, you're way <laughs> shaking your head. And I was sort of, that's so arrogant of Silicon Valley. I mean, obviously the software is incredibly difficult, but car building is incredibly hard at the same time. Yeah. So, And yet they've been pretty slow. Why is that from your perspective? So I, I think it's really important to understand the context, right? And, and I think the biggest thing that's lacking honestly, on both sides is, is mutual respect. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think it's very easy for Silicon Valley to look at the car companies and say, oh my goodness, they're so slow. We're going to disrupt them. They're going to disrupt them, right? And then it's very easy for the car companies to say, oh my goodness, look at those Silicon Valley guys. They're so, you know, un, um, so seat of their pants, right? right? How could they actually ever do anything big and complicated? And, mm-hmm. and obviously, both of those statements are completely false. Right. And 
what you have when you look at the car companies, you have to realize they've been at this for 100 years. They work in this incredibly regulated industry, mm-hmm. and they kind of make a miracle happen like two, every two minutes, mm-hmm. right? They, 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 they basically put a car on the road that's going to work for the next 15 years. It's got like explosions going off inside it, right? And it just works, mm-hmm. a- and, it's, and you're safe, right? If you, if you get in a car crash, more likely than not— Most cars you're safe in, yeah. Yeah, no, they're Most very cars. safe comparatively. But yeah. Comparatively, certainly in the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, right? Uh, you're going to do pretty well. And so there's so much constraints on their ecosystem that they've developed management processes and they've developed business processes that allow them to execute within those constraints. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes $2 billion to kind of make a new car. You can imagine uh, if to launch any web app, spent, you, know, you had to spend $2 billion. Right. The processes we put in place and the way we'd invest in them would be very different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so my view is that the, the key is to get... Find a way to to have uh, you know a trusting and respectful relationship on both sides, where mm-hmm. because of all of those great processes they have in place to allow them to ship cars, they're not particularly good at kind of innovative software development, sure. right? And it's those processes are great for the engineering cycles they need, but they're not really compatible with kind of the top flight Silicon Valley software engineers, right? And so this is where we thought that Aurora could maybe fit right is that you know we do have people who understand you know not nearly with the depth that the folks in the automotive space have but respect how complicated what they do is and at the same time we actually pretty deeply understand the complexity of developing the self-driving car systems and how Mm -hmm. to do that how to motivate the team and how to build the team that needs to do that and so that's the goal for aurora is to um, to get self-driving cars on the road as quickly as possible and do that uh, safely and thoughtfully and do it through partnership with the folks that can help us. Right, which is the car makers. It's car makers. It's it's a broader ecosystem than that. Mm-hmm. Meaning? Meaning that, um, you know, transportation as a service, you know, whether it be, sure. you know, Uber, Buses, Lyft, or Didi, yeah. right? Yeah. That That's going to be an important part of how this technology comes to market. Mm-hmm. The car company, you know, you have to have a car to have a self-driving car. Right. Uh, there's folks who actually, you know, so I think I understand a little bit about lasers, a little bit about radar, can probably contribute to the design of those. But I don't really know how to make it so that it can, you know, submerge in a salt bath and, you know, drive on your car for the next 15 years. And so mm-hmm. there's a whole collection of tier one automotive suppliers who know how to do that part really well. Sure. And it would be silly for me to try and, and do that or for our team even to do that. Right. But it requires the coordination of a lot of people. And that, I think, yeah. is why it's so difficult. I mean, in, what's interesting is the car makers themselves, though seen as slow, it's sort of eating into their current business. I mean, every time they can, you know, ship a, a Ford 150 or whatever, the trucks and, and things like that, there's there's that. Like, why would we? Who's thinking of it at the, these car companies? Well, they're they're looking at companies like Uber and Didi and Lyft, mm-hmm. uh, and they're they're seeing that something is happening. And, and th- this meaning, is re- nobody wants to drive. Well, not just nobody wants to drive, but there's an immense amount of value, you know, at least on paper, being created. Right. Uh, and if you look at say the the the, uh, the the market cap of Ford, General Motors, and Fiat Chrysler, the the U.S. big three. And you look at the market cap of Uber, Didi, and Lyft; they're close. They're basically the same. Mm-hmm. I think the bar, I think it may actually and Tesla's be Tesla's all of them together or something like that. Well, I don't know about all of them together. But it's bigger right. than than one or two of the U.S. guys. 
And I think that the, the market cap of the ride-sharing companies is probably going to double in the next few years. Why is that, given this is something they sell cars, they sell millions of cars and make lots of money? The, this group doesn't. Uh, I think that part of it is the, the opportunity to capture kind of uh, the usage of the car in mm-hmm. a way that they can't do with uh, as a car company. So when you buy a car, you know, you probably use it. I don't, I don't know if you own a car or yeah, not. Yeah, I do. You probably use it an hour, maybe two hours a day at most. Mm-hmm. If you're in the ride-sharing business and you operate it effectively, you might be operating that car, you know, 16, 18 hours a day. Right, right. And so you get much higher utilization, so there's much higher, you know, value kind of create out of that vehicle. So the, the car makers are, the, the danger they had have been worried about is becoming the dumb pipes, essentially, the way the, cab, you know, the, way the cable operators work. Yeah, and, and often the, the metaphor they use is they don't want to be the handset provider, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that is because, you know, what they do is complicated and valuable, and so they don't want that to be devalued. So how do they stop being that way? Well, they're trying. Mm-hmm. You, you see uh, almost all of them at this point running different sets of experiments, whether sure. it be Ford with the ride-sharing bicycles mm-hmm. around town and Chariot or General Motors with the Lyft investment and, and purchasing crews or VW with the experiments they're running as well. Mm-hmm. And so they are they're trying to make the leap and they're trying to be innovative. And... You know, I hope some of them succeed. Uh, I just think it's going to be difficult for them given how they've operated historically. Right. So what do they have to do? Buy things or just or get a whole my or, or move or what? Uh, so I believe they need to work with partners. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, that would be <laughs> that, that's kind of my <laughs> thesis. <laughs> so uh, so let's move then to the, the tech companies that are working on it. Apple, which seems yeah. to have pulled out somewhat. Um, Google, Tesla, Uber, all of them. Yeah. What's their problem? What's what do they? What challenges do they face? Yeah, so they don't make cars. One. Well, except Tesla. Yeah. Tesla makes cars, right. and so so on paper, I think Tesla is positioned pretty strongly in this space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the biggest challenge with with Tesla is um, that the approach they're taking is not maybe connected with reality on on what it takes to actually make the the car drive itself. And so meaning what? Meaning, meaning I think they're underestimating the complexity of actually getting to a fully self-driving car. Right. There is a semi-autonomous. Yeah. And and I think it's, you know, it, it's potentially a great feature what they're developing and uh, and you know, Elon has a, a very complicated space that he's fighting in and mm-hmm. he needs to have feature parity with the the luxury cars and mm-hmm. and so some of what he's doing is is really makes a, a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for me to believe that with just cameras, they're going to any time in the near future get to the level of reliability you really need to launch a, a car where you can kind of go to sleep in it and let it take you where you right. want to go. We'll talk about that in the next section. And then the regulatory environment. You yeah. know, that's another thing. I mean, everything. And then humanity. <laughs> yeah. Humanity is one of the biggest issues. But talk about the regulatory environment first. And, and and this is actually what makes this space so so exciting, right? Is the technology is really interesting and cool. The business cases are pretty exciting, mm-hmm. um, and then this is incredible opportunity for social good. But you have to communicate that. You have to work with the regulatory bodies, whether it be at the state, city, sure. or federal level. Mm-hmm. Right now, um, I think in general the tone is relatively optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the federal government set guidance last year that right. you know was. Basically, as as uh, attractive as as they could make it, I think, um, reasonably be expected to make it. Mm-hmm. A number of states are trying to jump in to support uh, and, and to kind of encourage the technology coming to their state. The challenge with that is that 
we don't really need them to do a whole lot. And the, the worst thing would be for there to be 50 different set of rules because then you're in right. your self-driving car and you get to the border and now, right. you know, now it's not homologated right. in the new state. How does the government do that? Is this federal government equipped to do that? They're, they're working hard to be. And it, what's, uh, and maybe this is too nuanced, but the way regulation works is uh, at the federal level, they regulate the safety of the car. Mm-hmm. And at the state level, they regulate the safe operation of the car, so right. the driver. Right. And so what's fascinating about self-driving cars is, you know, you're now making a virtual driver. And so there's a little bit of a state-federal power grab for who gets to make the rules around that. Right, right. Where do you think it ends up? In the interest of my sanity mm-hmm. and, and other people's work the in this federal. space, we wanted the federal. So there's kind of one regulation nationally. Right, which is something everything is regulated by the state, the DMV, almost everything that it touches it, the yeah. user. It, it, the, the, anything that's operation of the vehicle, mm-hmm. like which roads you can run it on, which speed limits you can drive at, who's appropriate to drive, that's all kind of state level. Are there any states that are really fast forward? I'm guessing California. So California, you know, through Senator Padilla's uh, leadership, ended up, um, you know, putting regulation out. Nevada actually had regulation out before them. Florida had some guidelines out early. They were very well-intentioned. But what we're seeing is, in, in some cases, you know, a little bit of the the regulation was there before we were really ready for it. Right. Uh, and for the most part, it's not been an, an issue. But it's, uh, you look at some of it now and you say, oh, hmm, maybe yeah. that wasn't quite What's what, the biggest problem? I don't have a great example off the top right. of my head. But there's... There's, there's just like little things. There's, there's no huge problems. Cart before horse. Yeah, a little bit. Or, so yeah. to speak. No more so, horses. So to speak. <laughs> no horses. Yeah. And what about internationally? So internationally, it's interesting. So in Europe, they're generally more conservative. Uh, and the law there... Yeah, in the U.S., the law is generally permissive. You know, mm-hmm. if we don't say you can't do it, then Go right do ahead. it. And if somebody gets offended, they're going to sue you. Mm-hmm. In Europe, they're much more... Uh, strict at delineating what is you're allowed to do and what you're not. And mm-hmm. so I think the law in Europe historically has been relatively protectionist. So as the European auto manufacturers get to the point where technology is ready, then the law obviously moves along with along it. with the car um, manufacturers. Right. And, and, so and hope- there's no big tech firm there that really is out front of this. Well, again, they would, they would argue that a Volkswagen or a Daimler is a big, yeah. yeah. But you're right, there isn't outside of that. But those two companies are investing yes, heavily in Yes, they are. I've been space. in some of their cars. So last thing, humans. The idea of humans doing I mean, obviously yeah. Tesla got a lot of press when that man died, when yeah. it was, that was just in a semi-autonomous car. Yeah. But the idea of sleeping or doing something yeah. else or watching a movie or doing anything else. When I was in the car, I was like, where's the bar kind of thing. Yeah. I think I'll text um, and things like that. But that was because I was in a parking lot at Google and I yeah. felt totally comfortable doing that. How do you switch humanity into that mode? I think they'll do it really fast. I, I do too, and, I, and we've seen this. Because I felt comfortable pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it's amazing how quickly people go from, oh my goodness, how could it possibly work, to, oh, all it does is drive, right? right? And, and they do that in a matter of minutes to hours. Mm-hmm. And I think this is actually one of the biggest challenges with some of the semi-autonomous features is that... Um, you grab for the thing. Well, well, it's not even that they grab for it. It's that... They experience it for a while and it works, right? Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it works perfectly every day for a month. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the next day it may not work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their experience now is, oh, this works. And right. so they're not prepared to take over. And so their ability to kind of save it and, and monitor it mm-hmm. decays with time. Um, but when we think about the, the rate at which bad things happen, they're very low. So, you know, in America, somebody dies in a in a in a car accident about one one point one five times per hundred million miles. Mm-hmm. Right, that's 
it's like 10,000 years of an average person's driving. Right. Uh, and so um, let's say the technology is pretty good, but not that good. You know, someone dies once every 50 million miles. Mm-hmm. We're going to have twice as many accidents and fatalities on the roads on average. But for any one individual, they could go a lifetime, many lifetimes before they right. would ever see that. Right. And so, you know, that that experience with the technology and kind of becoming falsely comfortable with the safety of it right. is one of the challenges. And also liking to drive. How do you beat that? How do well, you, what's the so, what's your argument? So, so people like to drive some of the time, mm-hmm. right? There's an awful lot of driving that people do that they really hate. Mm-hmm. Right? We would, road rage would not be a thing no. if people liked, truly right, liked right, driving. Right. It's so enjoyable, right? this traffic jam. Yeah, We're I'm, looking I'm, right now at the Bay Bridge. I'm really enjoying I'm 101 having, today. I hate the Bay Bridge. Yeah. And, and so I think what this can do um, is so much of getting around is just mundane. Mm-hmm. Let's make that pleasurable, mm-hmm. right? People, people are on their phone. People are wanting to do other things in the car. Like in, instead of um, kind of continuing prohibition once this technology is out there, we now allow people to do what they want. Mm-hmm. And while they do that, they'll still be safe in the vehicle. Uh, and then for people who want to enjoy driving, go and drive in your spare time. Like go right. drive on Sunday afternoon when the roads aren't bad and you enjoy it. Sure, like a horse. Yeah. Like, I think over time that, that's kind of that's going to be the experience. Even so, that whole idea of Americans love their cars. I don't think they do. I think a lot of Americans do. I think they take pride in it. I mm-hmm. think that you know they do spend an hour or two a day in it, and mm-hmm. the the you know people buy a car because what it says about them, mm-hmm. right? And and it's kind of their avatar on the road. Yeah, um, I have a Ford Fiesta. I don't know what that says. I don't know quite. It says what I don't said. care about cars. Like, I, I, I think that's probably car. you're like. I wish I had a self driving car right now. It's yes, so <laughs> awful. Uh, <laughs> Oh, well, then you, you, you know, it's, it's a, a stick shift. You, you, you're lying a little bit about I'm it. I'm lying a little bit, but I only got it because it was the cheapest, smallest car. Yeah, that was but fast. You, you, you could get a small, cheap car with an automatic transmission. That's true, right? Like my stick shift. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's part of driving yeah. you enjoy. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So uh, thinking up this section, so how much money have you guys raised for what you're doing? What precisely does Aurora yeah. do? So, so we, we aren't talking about how much right. money we've raised. Um, we've, I'm assuming a buttload because everybody's there's everyone and their mother is raising money we've been fortunate mm-hmm. in, in our ability to raise money we've so far we've just taken a little bit of money from some folks who help help me and and my other co-founders think mm-hmm. about how to start up a company and, and your co- your idea is to help be the software layer presumably yeah we'd like to be the the system mm-hmm. so we're going to work on the software and uh, we're going to build a reference architecture mm-hmm. that we'll share with automotive partners uh, that'll include, you know, these are the sensors you should have. These are roughly where you should have them on the vehicle. And this is the, the computation you should have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll be designing our software to work with that reference architecture. And then hopefully... If know, it's a current car that already has a wheel or if it doesn't, if it moves to the other part. So we'll be agnostic. So right. our, our intent is to build the, um, the self-driving vehicle capability. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of companies, all the, the Tier 1 automotive suppliers are, are developing the driver system. So things where you're still driving, but it's keeping you in lane or mm-hmm. doing adaptive cruise control. Mm-hmm. We want to work on the part that comes after that. Right. Fully self-driving. Fully self-driving. All right. We're here with Chris Ermson. We're talking about self-driving cars and where they're going. We're going to talk next about the future and what the future actually looks like when we get back. This episode is brought to you by AT&T Business. Whether it's helping to protect your data, empowering your people, or making faster, more informed decisions, AT&T has the network, solutions, and people to make it happen. 
Discover the power of AT&T at att.com slash agility. Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever have to send money internationally? If you do, you know it's expensive and time-consuming, and the exchange rate you get from your bank or provider can be terrible. Next time you have to make an international money transfer, you should use TransferWise. The exchange rate is incredibly good, so your money goes much further, and you pay only one small upfront fee. Setting up a payment is simple and fast. You know exactly what you'll pay up front, and you get a real exchange rate with no markup. The two friends who founded TransferWise were immigrants from Estonia, and they were sick of getting ripped off when they sent money home. So they came up with a quicker, cheaper, and easier way to transfer money between countries. Then they realized this great idea could be a company. Today, TransferWise lets millions of people and businesses all over the world send money internationally. See how much you can save at TransferWise.com. You can download the app for Android or iOS. Once again, that's TransferWise.com. Transfer, as in I need to transfer money to another country. Wise, as in I'm going to do it the wise way. TransferWise.com. I also want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask for my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge That's in me. my ever-increasing empire of things. Hello. Hello. Hi. Every Friday, we answer your questions about consumer tech. Lauren, what did we talk about this week? Well, I actually have our guest right here with me. It's Adrian Aoun. And uh, Adrian, tell us what you do and what we talked about. And your company's name. I'm a CEO and founder of a healthcare company called Forward. And what does Forward do? Ford's trying to uh, kind of redefine what it uh, what it means to be a doctor's office. So we build doctor's offices. We've got one in San Francisco and more coming along soon. And they're um, they're super comprehensive, um, state of the art technology, and a really fun experience. It's been called the Apple Store of doctor's offices, and we talked not only about Ford but just about some of the larger healthcare issues that uh, our country is facing right now. Indeed, it was a fascinating discussion. Thank you, Adrian. It was a great discussion, and we hope you go listen to it. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. We're here with Chris Ermson of Aurora. Chris used to be the CTO of Google's car uh, self-driving efforts. Um, talk a little bit about where we're going. First, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. You were at Google during the Anthony Lewandowski era. You've been sucked up into the Waymo. It's called Waymo now, Google's self-driving unit. Where is that name from? Don't don't tell me. You don't know either. I don't know. No, I don't know. Yeah. Um, what's going to happen there, this fight with Uber? Do you, I'm guessing you're being deposed, and et cetera, so you can't say much. Yeah, so, so I, I, in fact, was deposed yesterday, so mm-hmm. there's not much I can say. Um, you know, the good news is I, I don't know a whole lot, right? Mm-hmm. I obviously had some experience with Anthony and, and spent a lot of time with the team, um, but I don't really understand. Don't know what they've found and what the true meat of the case right, is. Right, but I think at the center of this is there's going to be a lot of fighting over this stuff because everybody wants to sort of have the edge going forward. Um, so let's talk about how quickly that edge is coming because there's lots of money going in. There's I, no. every week there's a different self-driving car unit gets sold or there's some aspect of it. Let's talk about what it looks like. Where does it come first? In like uh, Lewandowski had Auto, which was the trucks. Yeah. Um, you were talking about working with Caterpillar long ago, military. Where do the first ones really emerge that are useful and not completely accident-proof, but pretty close? Sure. So we're already seeing this technology come to market today. So mm-hmm. there are mines where you can go to where they have big haul trucks, they call them big dump trucks, driving mm-hmm. around uh, with nobody in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in those kind of close-course environments... You, sure, you, where you they're on tracks. It. and Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not literally on tracks. They're on mm-hmm. roads, and they're, 
using GPS and figuring out where they are. Right. Uh, but it's it's mostly a closed site. So you, you can go and see that today. I don't know exactly where they mm-hmm. are, but I'm sure some folks at Caterpillar will be happy right. yeah, yeah. to tell you. Uh, and you're seeing, uh, starting to see some of the ho- really high-end driver assistance features where uh, I think Audi just announced that their you know, 2019 or 2018 model, you'll be able to, on a freeway, on a divided highway, um, at less than 35 miles per hour, it'll stay in the lane and not bump into the cars around you, and you can read a book or whatever for mm-hmm. whatever, however long the traffic jam lasts. So you're starting to see that today. I think you're, within the next five years, you're going to see transportation services, fleets, uh, mm-hmm. vehicles, where in kind of some limited uh, environments, they'll be on the road. Uh, and you'll be able to get a ride in one. Uh, I this think, is without a driver in them. I think without a driver, yeah. You just get in. What's limited? What What do you mean by limited? Like at a, around a university where where there's no other humans or no? It, it'll no driving. There's cars. no humans in a, <laughs> in a university. Yeah. Um, I think the issue is other humans is the problem. Well, if everything was self driving, presumably they could start really talking to each other. It, it would be much easier. Right? Yeah, I, that that get is what makes humans. my job hard. That's what, yeah. yeah. Let's not. But, but it, Me, it, it I'm also, the problem. It also undercuts some of the value. Right? Yeah, you know, they, guess it's not people to move around. It'll be environments where it's relatively benign. So nice wide roads, uh, maybe not as many people using them. Uh, I think that's part of the reason why somewhere like, uh, you know, Arizona is appealing, right? It's Mm -hmm. a relatively modern modern city. It's so darn hot that you don't have a whole lot of people enjoying the outdoors. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't run them over. That's your point. uh, Yes, (laughs) right. You know, know, and again, it's the, uh, the safety arguments here are really all come down to statistics, right? Mm-hmm. It's a t- statistical argument that the rate at which bad things will happen is lower with the automation than sure. it is with people. Right. Uh, and so wherever you can find advantages to push the statistics in the right direction, then you know that, that's, that's the way to think about this as, as an engineer. Is so, so you would say have a car come and pick you up, no driver in it, in these places, like Palm Springs, for example. Somewhere so, like that, yeah. yeah. I, I, and I imagine that happening within the next five years. Mm-hmm. And then once you, you kind of are able to you know, let that proverbial genie out of the bottle, at that point it becomes incremental to make it work in slightly more difficult places. And uh, the big... Delta will be when you have a partner that can allow you to scale the technology because, you know, making a hundred of something or making even a thousand of something, you know, is kind of is manageable. But when the when we want to get to the point where the technology is proven and you want to scale it to the point where it can serve as a whole city or, you know, hopefully many cities, then you need somebody who knows how to make vehicles and you know how need somebody who knows how to make sensors mm-hmm. um, uh, that'll last uh, and that you know can do that repeatedly and run. Where is the problem? Is it the sensor problem or where is it? humans I'm guessing is the biggest one. People, other people that when you have that moment of mixing, probably when you mixed horses with cars was probably one of the more right. dangerous moments of car introduction hence the person walking in front of the car with the flags right right if you've heard the story no no tell me yeah so apparently um i can't remember which state it was Mm -hmm. was somewhere east uh when the first cars came out there Mm -hmm. was a law in the books that you had to have somebody walk in front of your car with a red flag so that you wouldn't startle the horses um which somewhat undercuts again the value of the car right right right, Um, right, right. obviously we don't do that today right so um so there has to be like a transition period of of using it do you imagine cities getting rid of cars completely 
and then using only self-driving units that are in like, that could be something i think in a distant future mm-hmm. um yeah i think there's going to be a long period of crossover mm-hmm. where there's going to be um, people driving cars and self-driving cars together on the roads and, and that'll be the most difficult time and then once the technology starts to prove out you know the opportunities again for safety for low-cost mobility uh, for mobility for people who can't see or can't otherwise drive, sure. reducing congestion, right? All this stuff, mm-hmm. um, cities will want, um, right. you know, because we're, we're only seeing, you know, in the U.S., we're seeing urbanization. In China, they're seeing urbanization in a way that you can't, mm-hmm. I, I can't comprehend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we need to find is a way to provide the same mobility that you and I take for granted, mm-hmm. uh, but that can scale to a much denser population. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's one of the promises this technology has. And what role does, uh, so, so the people would not own cars, right? Presumably they would hire, this is why Uber and Didi and all these companies have such big valuations, because they're the reservation system, essentially, yeah. for these things. that You wouldn't own a car. I, th- I think you wouldn't need to. Right. 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 So for someone like yourself who professes right. to hate driving, mm-hmm. you only own a car because you need the convenience of mm-hmm. it. Um, if if somebody were offering you the same service, mm-hmm. but it would show up, you wouldn't have to worry about driving, and you knew it was going to be there, and it was going to work, and it was as expensive or less than your current thing, then you know uh, you you would take it. And I, I think you see this in New York today, where you know a vast majority of people that don't, don't own, own cars because it's much more convenient to use yeah, cabs, or right? Which was transportation as a service right. at, at the time. What happens to public transportation during all this? So I think this ends up becoming public transportation. Okay. Um, you know, buses are fantastic when they're loaded, mm-hmm. uh, right? That's one of the best ways that you can actually kind move of people. move people. Um, but on certain paths but, only. Right, on certain paths. But most of the time, they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, if or they it, don't go where you want. Or they don't go where you want. Or, you know, and, and the whole system of where do we set the routes is a very kind of political process that mm-hmm. maybe is not the best that it could be. If instead, over time, we, we keep the buses for kind of the, the core routes and, and treat them almost like trains, mm-hmm. um, but then we either serve to them or go point to point, with much smaller vehicles that mm-hmm. really, you know, stop at your house, stop at my house. I don't know where you live, but mm-hmm. if we live close yes. to each other, so I, that would be a really bad routing. <laughs> um, but you know, on the way, and and really, they it looks like public service, uh, public transportation on demand. And it's actually when it, when you look at some of the numbers on this, you can probably operate that at at a lower cost per mile to the transit authority right then their bus system be a transit authority or save money well, make money for someone else i you know i i think there's some things that should be public good over time mm-hmm. um and it feels like that's you know over time this might be something that becomes part of the utility of the city the utility of a city um Leslie, what are some of the weirder transportation modes like you know vertical lift and takeoff i think uber was thinking about that yeah. although they've got some issues right now to deal with separately but Talk about like where the craziest transportation schemes are coming from your perspective. That's Do you a, like robots coming out of volcanoes? I'm assuming vertical lift and takeoff. That that, 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 that seems pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's where you say you're here in San Francisco and you want to get to Berkeley and not go over that horrible Bay Bridge. You right. just get in a. It's a not little, a helicopter. It's something it's else. It's like a you know a giant drone mm-hmm. that flies you over there, right? Yeah. And, you know, it, it, like that actually sounds pretty neat to me. And and you know one of the neat things that's happened with drone technology is you've solved Autonomous. some of the reliability yeah. um the nice thing about being up in the sky is there there's not a whole lot to hit mm-hmm. right yeah uh, <laughs> yet but but even then there's so much more space than mm-hmm. there is on the ground right we're, we're stuck on this surface once you get up there 
you can segment, you know, all the eastbound traffic could be at one elevation, all the mm-hmm. westbound at another, north and south. And so you, you don't, you don't end up with a whole roads. lot. Where we're right. going, there's no need, there's no need for roads. roads. Yeah. Thank you, Doc Brown. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, speaking of that, so vertical lift and takeoff, flying cars. Yeah. Which is a, which is an agile, which is a side adjacency, correct? Yeah. Uh, One of those coming. So fly, I have. I don't know. You know, I, they're working on. They're them. working on. Why? Them. Why? Yeah. I, I think because there is. You know, again, I think it's this density and congestion problem, mm-hmm. and that there's just so much, so much resource available up there in terms of space. Yeah. That if we can tap into that, maybe it makes it more livable. I, I worry a little bit about the sound. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and they're maybe noisy. The, maybe this is a little too nimby. Mm-hmm. But you know, the you know, there's there's going to be a lot of well, noise. I don't want someone taking off a car in my neighborhood. You're right. Like, why would you want it? I, what about jetpacks? Come on. I don't know. Okay. I don't know much about jetpacks. All right. I haven't okay. Seen you're not that. working on yeah. this. No, I'm personally not what working on flying cars. What is the craziest thing? That you- well, a teleporter. Tel- like teleporter that. would be fantastic. That would that would solve the commute problem. Mm-hmm. Put me out of a job. That would be great. Yeah, I, I I haven't seen a whole lot of like so, you know, the boring company stuff. Um, the idea of digging giant tunnels seems mm-hmm. you know on the one hand, I remember looking at this re- is Elon Musk's tunnel bore, boring boring yeah yeah. So on the one hand, I remember you know reading like books about the future, and it was all going to be vacuum pods moving mm-hmm. under the ground and hyperloops. And so. uh, yeah, they didn't call it that at the time. I mm-hmm. think he coined that later. Um, and so on the one hand, that would be you know it would make the future happen. Mm-hmm. Um, at least the nineteen seventy something future happen. Right. Um, on the other hand, it seems like there's other ways that we can you know Move. digging holes seems hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just think he likes to fuck with us all the time like he'll say something crazy <laughs> next i will be invisible oh yes <laughs> yay elon <laughs> do you know what i mean i i know what you mean you know what i mean like yeah. but good i'm glad someone's doing that i really yeah. admire him yeah. for like no, putting and, out and, and what tesla and better SpaceX than a photo are, app let's just say yeah, yeah. It, you know what tesla and spacex uh, their mission is just tremendous right and I've got to believe for the folks there that's incredibly motivating so to finish up give me the timeline when when is this going to be like done oh, it's it's never going to be done right? no i know but like right now cars are done like there's no more horses around it, it, it oh got, the, the transition yeah. i, I yeah. think it's going to take at least 30 years 30 years um at least uh yeah and just part of that is it takes about 15 years for a car to to cycle through the american what we call the car park right mm-hmm. the cars on the road part of it is the technology's not ready yet and there's going to be continued kind of development on it over time uh to get it to the point where it can really be deployed mm-hmm. um and part of it is that unlike um a web app or a mobile app the adoption you know there's there's actually investment you have to make to adopt it right. and so it, it it you know it's going to have a slower rollout and it's, there is certainly a lot of money going towards it there's a lot of money going towards it but even a lot of money when you start thinking about buying right. cars you know it starts to get factored down pretty quickly right i want to finish up on the on the social concept of it um right. which i talked we talked to a lot of uh, Silicon Valley people about is if you're going to make all these cars, self-driving cars and autonomous vehicles, do you have a responsibility to those who lose their jobs? Do you think about that as as, a, as an inventor? Yeah, no, this, this is actually something I, I do think about a fair bit. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a real challenge. Uh, and this ends up being um, a, a trade-off in social goods. Mm-hmm. And so, so on the one hand, there, there's people who drive for a living today. Not just that parking lots, insurance companies. There, like you could iterate and iterate and iterate. There's a lot of there's a lot of 
scale in this business, right, in a lot of ecosystem. Uh, and on the other hand, you have the opportunity to um, make people safer on the road and save tens of thousands of lives. Uh, save energy. Save energy, which is good for the environment, good for the planet. Um, uh, you can decrease congestion, give everybody back more time. You can give access to people, you know, uh, probably a commensurate number of people that can't drive today mm -hmm. as those who drive for a living. And you give them the freedom now to go and, you know, contribute to the economy, have a job and work in a way they may not otherwise be able to. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's difficult, right? And no matter what you do, whether, I, you know, if I go buy lunch at, you know, Subway or Jack in the Box, you know, that has some sure. implication. And I, and I don't mean to be trite about this, mm -hmm. uh, but but how you put your, your finger on the social scale here is, is a really tough question. And I, I don't have a good answer. Right. Well, Part who's responsible then? Who is, you know, I think one of the things that Silicon Valley is, is not responsible. Okay. Very yeah. similar to a lot of companies that make things and change things. But who is the government? Is it, because then you could lead to, you know, we we're right in the middle of a populist yeah. political situation could get worse. So, I, you know, I, I'm not, I, no way I'm trying to abdicate. No, no, I get that, but I'm wondering who it. you think. I'm not but blaming you. No, no, I, I appreciate that. I think, I think we all are, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that um, this is one of the saddest things for me about what's happening in kind of the, in the political world right mm -hmm. now is we are faced with a variety of challenges, right? Uh, you know, it, it started early with factory automation. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it, it started with globalization. Mm -hmm. And these are things that have been good much like self-driving technology, right? There, there. It's hard to argue. Uh, I think on a on a earth-wide perspective, that globalization was a bad thing, right? right? That I think it tied countries together. Mm -hmm. It raised uh, the economies in parts of the world Less that war. wouldn't otherwise have it. Yeah, it made us interdependent in a way that prevents some war. And so, so there was some clear social good from that. But it wasn't distributed uniformly. Mm -hmm. Like like any change is not distributed uniformly. Right. Uh, and so it's it's part of our cult our community, part of our um, you know political leadership, part of our social activism, is finding the right way to bring society all all of society along with that. Mm -hmm. and, and I think we've I think we've fallen short. It's mm -hmm. clear that we've fallen short, right? I, I don't think we would be in the political situation we are today if we had not fallen short. Mm -hmm. And and I I, I, for, I would love to be able to tell you like. I know this what is the my vision. This is the right. answer. Right. Um, and, you know, honestly, it hurts a little bit not to be able to do that because sure. I, I recognize the implications of what mm -hmm. we're doing. I just, I, I'm not smart enough. And, and right. I think, you know, we need to attack it together. Mm -hmm. um, interesting. I had Mark Andreessen on stage talking about this. And he was like, well, there were blacksmiths in there. Weren't. I'm like, yeah, but what about the blacksmith families? What right. happened to them? What happened to, like, you, you don't even know what happened to them. They went away, certainly, and they died eventually. But it's a really interesting question that Silicon Valley often abdicates its responsibility yeah. for. And this is a big one. To me, this is a really, like, the biggest I think this is, yeah. Uh, you know, they've ruined media, but that's okay. We'll be fine. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's sort uh, of... It's creates. important. And and it's not, you know, this this is a, a broader challenge that we're facing that isn't just self-driving cars. I think mm -hmm. the automation, automation. is going to kick in Robotics. more broadly. Um, and, and I think it's going to be on uh, kind of the net. It's going to be a good thing. Right. right? And, and I think in general, the advance of technology has been a good thing. Um but it requires us to be thoughtful and it requires us to come together and figure out how do we help those that are displaced? How do we move them into new roles? Um, how do we, how do we even think about that? And right. 
you know, it, it is something I worry about. I, I just, unfortunately, it's in this in the state of academic worry. Right. You know, one concrete way to think about this, you know, we talked earlier about public transit, mm-hmm. um, uh, and you know, you can imagine like bus drivers lose their jobs, and and that's certainly one way that the the pendulum could swing. An alternative is we put the bus drivers on the core routes that are driving the buses. Mm-hmm. We don't hire any more bus drivers. But we phase this technology in over time, and we support it mm-hmm. um, with the self-driving cars. The self-driving cars, if we get reasonable occupancy in them and there really are a public transit, then today we subsidize public transit. About 90% of it is subsidized by, right. um, by we move taxes. We to other jobs. We, we instead will no longer have to subsidize it, and then we have this extra Money. You know, money that's sat around in city and, and transit authority coffers that we can use in different ways. Yeah, yeah, so, you have to be. It's interesting. Yeah. I was just in Kentucky and was talking to some coal miners. They're like, they're going to bring back jobs. They said, the minute they can automate you, my friend, they're going to automate your work. And yeah. they probably already have in lots of ways, which is interesting. It's definitely an interesting question for all of us, I think. Uh, yeah. And I'm so glad someone as thoughtful as you is thinking about it. You're more thoughtful than most people. Most people are like, oh, let's invent it. Who cares? No, I, I think that's dangerous. Yep, yeah. I agree with you. Chris, it was great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, if you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews we've done with Lyft product director Taggart Matisson, Uber executive Francis Fry, and Wild Ride author Adam Lashinsky, just to name a few. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcasts. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Cadence 13, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thank you to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.